Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, back on the show after a week hiatus. Welcome back, Eric. Good to be back. Got a lot of sleep. I was telling Matt I was sleeping until about noon every day, so life, <laughs> life, everyone, life is good. <laughs> everyone is envious of that. Uh, we have been slaving away, working hard, oh. diligently while you've been <laughs> sleeping. Um, no, uh, Eric needed the vacation, deserved it. Uh, good to see that he's back and as a welcoming party uh, and also more importantly because the tournament's here, uh, we're offering two months of VIP access to DuckTerritory.com for $1, $1, two months, $9.95 thereafter. That inside scoop, expert analysis, read all the content across the entire 24-7 sports network and access to Oregon Duck insiders like Eric Kevin Wade, myself, and a whole bunch of other people within the network that cover football, recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, you name it, we've got it. Highly encourage you guys to go check that out if you are not a subscriber today to DuckTerritory.com. All right, uh, this podcast and the next couple are going to be basketball-focused because this is March Madness. We have officially arrived, and the Oregon men's basketball team uh, they are in the NCAA tournament. They will be going on and playing in the West region of the NCAA tournament. Everything is involved in the uh, Indianapolis area. Uh, the entire tournament will be held there. And this is where uh, COVID has, is still impacting things a little bit. Everyone will be playing within the city of Indianapolis, a bunch of different venues. Uh, Oregon is playing in the Farmers Insurance uh, Coliseum, or I think it's just Farmers uh, Coliseum now. And it's a small, small venue, holds about 6,000, 7,000 fans. And uh, Oregon will be taking on 10 seed VCU of the Atlantic 10 Conference. The Rams won the most games in the a10 this season uh they were half a game out of first place in the regular season they made the a10 conference championship game they lost to saint bonaventure uh this is going to be a game eric I, I think you and i and probably a lot of duck fans uh first thought is when you hear vcu oh it's a, it's the shock of smart team the team that went to the final four when they were the the play-in team and they played a ton of dudes and they're super athletic yeah, that certainly feels like what you think of when you when you uh, see that when you see the seed line come out. Um, and and I know we don't have to reflect too much on kind of where Oregon's at. And, and I know I know we'll talk about the, the upcoming matchups and possible matchups, but this feels kind of difficult. I mean, I, just because the the history of VCU and the NCAA tournament, and obviously this is a new team. Shaka Smart's not there anymore. Um, you can't really take too much from what was what gosh, probably eight years ago, maybe that they made that run. Um, but at the same time, this is an established brand and, and, and a program that does traditionally perform pretty darn well come tournament time. And, you know, I think it's interesting looking at Oregon and the Pac-12 as a whole here in terms of how they're represented in the tournament and, and just kind of thinking, I, I, I feel like the Pac-12 is, is kind of compared to some of these other power five conferences, maybe not getting the, the, the respect that they deserve. And I know we kind of, expected this we talked about this we projected that Oregon would kind of be in this range and unless they won out and, and won the conference championship and they didn't do that but does it feel kind of strange for how hot this team was late that Oregon is a seven seed Matt or or, or and, I, and I know we we, we kind of knew this is where they were going to be 
bracketology these days, those things are pretty accurate. And it was pretty clear this was kind of their range was going to be like six to eight, depending on how they played in the Pac-12. But for a team that was so hot late, the seven feel, I mean, like in past years, it feels like if a, te- if a Dana Altman team had been hot this late, they'd at least be like a four or a five, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the, the seven seed is right about where they needed to be. Um, they were one more win, I felt like, away from climbing into that next tier of maybe getting a, of getting a six, maybe winning their way into being a five. They were the second highest rated seven seed in the tournament. And I think the semifinal loss to Oregon State now improved a little bit because the Beebs went on to win the whole thing in Vegas and get the auto bid. But Oregon, they needed to, they needed at the time of the loss to Oregon State, it, it was not a bad loss, but it wasn't like a loss that's not going to hurt your resume either. Right. And, um, I, I think if they would have won that game and got to the conference championship game, they probably would have been a six seed. And that opens the door for, you know, a six 11 matchup. And then you play a three seed in the second round. And I think, I think the difference, and at least in this year's tournament, in most cases too, the three and the two, there's a big difference there, in my opinion, for most teams. Um, and, and I, I think that was a big thing for them. Um, they're playing really well. Now it's, you know, I, I asked Dane Altman uh, on Sunday after the bracket was revealed, like, Hey, I, can you kind of turn the loss to Oregon state into a positive of kind of reset the, you know, the, the calibrate the team a, a little bit, hammer home some important details that maybe kind of got, you know, glossed over because of the winning streaks and winning, you know, 10 of 11 straight and, and, and whatnot. And, and he said, well, you know, every team is different, but I also, he also then pointed out that the final four team, they made the conference championship game. Uh, the elite eight team the year before they won the entire tournament, the, the team that went to the sweet 16 in the most recent NCAA tournament, 2019, they won four games and won the NCAA, the PAC 12 tournament. Um, so he he kind of pointed out like he correlates success in Vegas to going off and having success in the NCAA tournament. Um, he didn't say the correlation part, but that's kind of what I got of you know there you want to keep winning. Winning is is a positive, and you know, you don't worry about being tired or, or glossing over losses because the the momentum that you get from wins in the regular season and in the conference tournament can carry over into the NCAA tournament. So it'll be interesting to see what this team looks like, how they play uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament uh, against VCU. And Eric, I don't know about you, but like I'm looking at this team and I I saw a team that won 10 of 12 to close out the regular season. And, you know, one of those losses was to USC who made the semifinals of the PAC 12 tournament and made the NCAA tournament. One of those losses was to Oregon State, who won the conference tournament and has made the NCAA tournament. And they've beaten UCLA, who's in the conference, who's in the tournament. They've beaten Colorado, who's in the conference, who's in the NCAA tournament. They've beaten the Beavs. Uh, they've beaten Arizona. They've beaten Utah. Uh, they've beaten Arizona State. I feel like this is a team where they could get upset round one. 
Or we could be talking about a team that's playing for, you know, the Elite Eight. I, I lean that. I, I just think Oregon's going to win a game every time Dane Altman's the coach. I, I think that's been the trend, right? I don't think he's ever gone one and done in the NCAA he tournament. Has not. So I, I kind of – and I hesitate to think this is the year because of the momentum we just saw. Um, and that's not to say it's impossible and that maybe VCU ends up being a tougher matchup and because um, that's ultimately – I mean, that's, that's the – that's the way this whole thing works is you can be a really, really good team and you just happen to run into another really good team who's seated and maybe is a tough matchup for you. And, and it, and it just can kind of be the, the good or bad luck of the draw. And, and, and I, I think you look at VCU a little deeper and we can certainly talk about them. We look at Iowa, who Oregon would play, assuming that they beat VCU and Iowa doesn't suffer a historic two fifteen upset loss. But uh, you know, I, I think, I think it seems somewhat favorable just on like first glance looking at, at VCU that, that Oregon should get a win here. Um, and then I, I look at just the, you know, the history of what Dan Altman does in the NCAA tournament and think it seems unlikely this team. And, and also this team being a team that is really veteran and experienced. Like, I mean, you, I mean, this is a team that I know maybe not super experienced in NCAA tournament games. And obviously nobody played the NCAA tournament during the 2020 season. Um, and a lot of the guys on this team, um, you know, we're, you know, maybe maybe they didn't play in 2019 either. So like, there's maybe not a ton of NCAA tournament experience amongst them. But I, I look at this group and think like, they they are seniors and juniors and guys who have played a lot of basketball. These are older players. These are not like a team built up of 18 or 19 year olds. This is 20 and 21, 22 year old guys. So like, I I I think you add all that up. I just feel pretty good that they're going to at least take care of business once in this tournament. And especially with the momentum they had before, I get I don't think it's outrageous to think they can get hot either and win that second game against Iowa. Um, first off, like VCU, Matt, and I know you've probably looked into this more than, than I have even considering your beat, but you look, you just pull up their stats and you pull up their success this season and they've got their leading score. Nashawn Highland um, averages almost 20 points a game. Yep. P- puts up a lot of shots, a high, you know, a very high volume three point shooter, a guy who goes for 30 points in the, you kind of look at the way their their uh, Atlantic 10 tournament went. They they win their quarterfinal game pretty easily. He goes for 30. Um, he has a pretty average game the next time out, but they beat Davidson by 12. He only shoots 5 for 12, 0 for 5 from 3, and then has an even worse game from a three-point percentage, or I guess from just a field goal percentage, the next game out against St. Bonaventure in the championship. He scores 21. They lose. Um, it kind of feels like you just kind of look through their success. There's a team that also was was pretty hot late in the season, coming into the conference tournament and had won, you know, eight out of nine games. I think um, he had scored really, really well in those. I, I wonder though, like who, what does Oregon do with him? He's six three, one sixty five. So from a size perspective, Oregon certainly has the length. It's not like he's a guy who is going to shoot over Oregon, who, who across the board in their starting lineup is taller than him. Does it feel like as simple as if they can kind of keep him in check, they can win. Cause you, I mean, you look at the rest of what they've got from a scoring perspective, at least. And, they have one other double-figure scorer. He's at 10.6 points a game. That's Vince Williams Jr., um, another guy who shoots the three-ball pretty successfully. But this is this is not like that VCU team, you know, that we talked about earlier in the open about kind of like what you think of the Shaka Smart, where they necessarily have like multiple big-time scoring guys. This is a team that rotates a lot of players. They've got a pretty deep rotation, right. looking at the per, you know the minutes per game. But Highland really seems like he's their their go-to offensive guy and kind of the the hub for everything offensively. Yeah, they, they they play 11 guys, eight or more minutes a game, nine guys, 
play 16 or more minutes a game. So that's more of their true rotation. Uh-huh. Um, but they do have 11 guys that have uh, – I, I should say they have nine guys that have played 21 or more games, and then they have two more that play a ton of minutes – that play double-digit minutes that have played 16. So I'm, I'm assuming that's probably – injury or COVID because they've had some games canceled that, that have kind of prevented them from playing as many other games uh, as everybody else. But you're right. Like Nashawn Highland is their guy and everything runs through him. I mean, he is, he's first on the team in scoring at 19 and a half per game. Uh, he shoots the most shot attempts uh, this season. Um, by by taking, a lot. Yeah. He's <laughs> taking 340 and the next closest guy on this team is, uh, Vince Williams, who averages or who who has taken 203 attempts, uh, he's second on the team in scoring at 10.6 per game. Um, but everything runs through Highland, and to me, that is probably a good thing for the Ducks. Um, Dana Altman's teams traditionally do pretty well against teams that have like one clear-cut, bonafide go-to guy, and then. They don't necessarily have no offense to Vince Williams. I could be completely wrong on him, but you know, he doesn't look like when you look at his game logs, he doesn't look like a guy that can elevate to be that number one, you know, and you have two, two, you have a duo of, of two number one go-to guys. I mean, he's scored in double figures quite a bit, but he's, he hasn't gone over 20 this season. Uh, his season high is 19 and that came in a game against Dayton Uh, He had a couple, you know, 12 or 14 or 14 point games, but none of these games are, are, are ones where you're like, wow, he went nuts. And they had it at the same time as, as Highland. So this is good for Oregon in terms of, Hey, you shut down Highland and make the rest of the team beat you. And in a half court game, that's what's important is VCU likes to, they like to press, they like the trap. They like to push the tempo up and down and make it a, you know, a high paced game. And if you can make them play in the half court and prevent Highland being the guy, then I think it's going to, it's going to bode well for the ducks. I go back to that Oklahoma state game when they had Marcus smart. Um, And I think the head coach was Travis Ford. He was furious that they, that they got Oregon uh, in the second round in the first round of the tournament, because he knew that Oregon team was better than I think Oregon was an eight seed or a nine seed uh, in that game. And he knew they were, they were way better than that. And, and Oklahoma state was basically a Marcus smart team. He was kind of their guy. They had a couple secondary guys, but they didn't have like a, another all conference caliber player and Oregon shut them down. They blew them out in the, in the NCAA tournament. Um, I, I'm not saying Oregon's going to blow out the VCU Rams. They're, I think, a six and a half point favorite. But I like this matchup because it gets your, it's an opponent who doesn't have a physical advantage over you, um, like a potential second round matchup in Iowa does. And I, I, I would much rather have that. I'd much rather play Iowa the second game because there's going to be jitters, there's going to be, there's going to be nerves. You know, only Will Richardson's the guy on this team that's been the NCAA tournament before, uh, at, at least with Oregon. And there's going to be some jitters. There's going to be nerves. The guys are going to be, you know, tight. It's going to be, you know, that first game is, can always be a roller coaster. And I would much rather play a team who maybe is a little more skilled on the perimeter, 
but doesn't have the same size, you know, doesn't have a huge size advantage that over you where if it turns into a game where it's, it's a, you know, it's a brick fest a little bit, you know, you're, they don't have a big guy to just throw things down and, 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 you know, just get layups over you and you, you go one, you know, one and done in the tournament. I, I like this matchup. I, I think Oregon should win. I don't think they're going to blow them out, but I'm going to kind of cheat here. It's not going to surprise me if they do. Yeah, no, and I think that's what kind of makes like the momentum from this team recently. They've won a lot of games, but they haven't been blowing out teams for the most part, right. almost aside from the Arizona State game in the uh, quarterfinals of the Pac-12 tournament. And then, of course, they lose to Oregon State the next game. I guess the game right before that in Corvallis was was I would call that a blowout, even though the final score, you don't look at it and scream like, oh, man, that was – I mean, it was a game that was 15 to 18 for parts of it and got, you know, lower double digits for other parts. But I, this, is, this is a team that has won a lot of games recently, but they haven't all been blowouts. And I, I do think VCU, you know and – I, and I guess, like, maybe there is a world where, like, you know, let's see what happens if, if you put Chris Duarte on Highland and he just shuts him down. Can VCU offensively – hang with Oregon and, and I think the flip side for me is and I think we saw it a little bit against the Beavers in the back of tournament of um, when Oregon is off from a three-point range yep it really it I mean this is a this is a team that relies a lot on the three ball and, and this is where I kind of go like you know if you're a team that relies so much on three-point shooting there, there is sort of this tendency that you, you just kind of feel like if they're hitting they can beat almost anybody but if they're off they can lose to almost anybody and I, and I think there's other Oregon has other ways of scoring and, and has been successful certainly in games where they haven't just lit it up from three, but when they're at their best, they're shooting the ball well from three. And we saw when they went six for 25 against the Beavers um, a couple of days ago that, that, that they just had a hard time really competing, you know? And, and I think if they shoot the ball well in this tournament, maybe that's where the key is of, of getting past VCU. Maybe that's a closer game. Maybe they don't shoot it as well, but if they get comfortable going into Iowa, I really think they can give the Hawkeyes some trouble here. And, um, this is an Iowa team that Oregon was it last season they played in, in New York or was it the year before that year before that. Gosh, these years are all blending yeah. together with the COVID stuff. But like, there's some familiarity from. I mean, I just pulled up the the, the you know. I don't know if we want to jump too far into Iowa, but this is a preview podcast, and we probably won't record again until um, after Oregon's opening weekend in the tournament. And again, they'd play Saturday, and then if they win, they'd play Monday. Um, but this is an Iowa team that at least like if you pull up their you know, they're, they're, they're scoring here. You recognize their top three names because I think they all played in that game three years, you know, a couple of years ago. Luca yep. Garza's, you know, might be the player of the year. Joe Weiskamp and Jordan Bohannon were players that were on that team as well. Um, it's a team that certainly Oregon has some familiarity, you know, and I don't know, Matt, like, do you want to jump too much into the possibility of the Iowa matchup because that's hypothetical? Yeah, I, I think this is. Uh, look, if you get past VCU and Dan Altman's going to, if he was listening to this, he, no, 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 don't talk about Iowa. We're talking about VCU only. Um, but we, we have that luxury. We can, we can go ahead. Um, if they get past VCU and it is Iowa, I think Iowa is a winnable game. They're going to be underdogs, but Oregon's going to have a chance because look, they will they will probably not have a good answer to stopping Luca Garza on the offensive end of the floor. You know, 6'11", 270 pounds, just a big dude, old school big man, okay? And stopping him is going to be difficult. They're going to have to double. They're going to have to prevent him, you know, 
prevent him from getting the ball because once he gets it, that's where it becomes no man's land for the Ducks. Um, on the other end of the floor, though, when Oregon has it, this is one of those games where if they're on one of those days where they're shooting the three well, especially Eugene Almarui, Garza is going to be nullified because he won't be able to guard Oregon's big guys because he's set, he's almost seven feet tall. He moves well for a big guy like that, but he's not going to be able to be on the perimeter guarding Amarui, guarding Eric Williams, guarding LJ Figueroa. And that's going to be the chess match. Can, can Oregon hit threes and force Iowa to play zone and basically nullify the, the size advantage of Garza or can they, can they maybe, you know, somehow get lucky and Iowa tries to play man and they just go ISO one-on-one with against Garza and have whoever's being guarded by him, you know, try and get fouls. Eugene Marui is terrific at drawing fouls against bigger big, uh, post players. And so that's going to be the game within the game. If they don't shoot well on threes against Iowa, I, I think it's going to be difficult for them to win. And the only way they probably do is if, they don't shoot threes, but somehow they find a way to get Iowa into foul trouble and, and get Garza out of the game. And, you know, Oregon is, is getting to the line for a bunch of shots. Um, it's winnable. And this is where it gets crazy, where if, if Oregon has one of those games on the positive side, they can beat Iowa and they probably would beat Iowa. But if they have a game like they did against Oregon State shooting the ball and defensively, they're going to get run by 25. Do you think this is a game where, where Dana Altman goes tries to go a little bigger? Do you I mean do you think that maybe Frank Kepnong actually plays more in this game? And I, and I guess this feels like a game. I mean, because I kind of like in this matchup, and it's probably not totally fair, but to a couple of years ago when when Oregon upset Wisconsin and Wisconsin had Ethan Happ, who was I think probably a little different player from Lucas yeah, Garza, maybe not, not not quite as accomplished, but but certainly like the hub of the offense was a kind of traditional ish big guy who was kind of the hub of everything offensively. And, and, and Garza averages like 24 points a game. I mean, he's one of the nation's best players. Um, and Hap wasn't quite at that level, but was certainly an accomplished veteran guy. And, and what Oregon had in response to that was Kenny Wooten protecting the rim. And I forget the total number of shots blocked in that game, but it felt like Wooten blocked almost a Jordan Bell <laughs> against Kansas number in that game where he was just protecting everything around the rim. They couldn't get anything going. The difference with this year's team from an Oregon perspective is they don't have that rim protector. Um, and I think in, if, if you were, if Oregon just were to have one of those guys, I really think that impacts this, this matchup a lot. And I think, unfortunately, again, they don't, they, you know, Wooten's not walking through that door. Jordan Bell, Chris Boucher, those type of guys aren't walking through that door. Freight Kepnong's probably the closest thing they have. And, and I guess Chandler Lawson too, to a certain extent. But like, I just wonder if you think, I mean, because what, what we've seen in this last run here are games where, that starting five, that core five, which are all six, five to six, six guys playing 30 plus minutes, like every one of them, very few bench minutes. Do you think this is a game though? Or again, assuming Oregon gets to this point, they don't lose the opening game. And I would take care of business um, in its opening game against Grand Canyon. Do you think this is a game where though, where maybe Dana Altman is sort of forced to play a little bit differently to go a little big, or do you think on the flip side, maybe that he says, let's see if Iowa can handle us. If we go kind of, five guys that can handle the ball and, and spread the court. 
I expect Oregon to start the game as if it's a normal out, you know, matchup. They're going to see how they can handle it. Um, I expect Lawson to be the first guy to go off the bench uh, in both games. Uh, I do think he'll he'll first see how Lawson handles guarding Garza if we're if we're looking strictly at Iowa. Right. And if if Lawson has trouble, then he'll go to Frank. And then if it gets to that point where Frank is even having trouble, then you're you know you're in a world of hurt. And but I, I think the answer to your question is this team's going to go and they're going to play their style first and see if it can work. And if it can't work, then they'll adapt and they'll see if, if they can kind of maneuver themselves into a position where they can make a run. Um, I, I, I don't think Dana is a team is a coach that he plays to his system. He coaches to his system. He, re, he, re, he builds a team based around the personnel of that team that year. And he's not going to go into a game automatically conceding uh, adjustments. Like, I don't think we're going to see a, a starting lineup change for that game. Um, you know, he rides with, you know, the, the person you brought to the dance and that's his team and how they're currently constructed it. So, and, and I, people are going to clamor left and right for Frank Capang to play a ton of minutes in that game. And I'm telling you right now, it's probably no offense to him because he's going to be a good player down the road. But right now, his defensive rotations is not where it needs to be. Offensively, he's very limited. And if he's out there for an extended period of time, and I'm talking like if he's playing 15 or more minutes a game in a tournament, it's probably it's either because Oregon's blowing teams out or it's because Oregon's in a world of hurt. And I think 10 or so minutes a game, maybe 15 max, it's kind of that that sweet spot for him right now because he's so limited offensively. He he can't all he does is dunk and, and or get or try and get fouled. And defensively, while he's a big body and he's athletic and he's he's had some good blocks, he's had some good rebounds, he's also given up some layups. He's also given up some easy shots. His rotations haven't been as 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 poor as good as they need to be. And so I know Duck fans are going to be calling for him to play a ton of minutes, but they've gone through a highly pressure situation where they have had a razor thin margin for error and you couldn't afford to, to let him make those kind of mistakes and play through them and learn through them because you need to win games. And, you know, they weren't going to get into the tournament as an at-large if they were playing Frank 20, 25 minutes a game and letting him grow during the games, because that that's taking minutes away from Almarui from Eric Williams from LJ Figueroa and Chandler Lawson, guys that are producing, guys that are making plays to win games and helped Oregon go 10 and 12, or 10, 10 and two over the last 12 games. So it's, it, it's going to be a, a finite balance for how long and how much you can play Frank against Iowa's big guys. But I, I don't think they're going to play a, a ton of minutes for him in this game. And they're going to try and roll with what, what you know, brought them to the dance. I, let's just look at some of the other top seeds in, in this region. Um, I know we, we won't talk about possible matchups because that's looking two plus, you know, wins right, down right. the road. And that seems kind of a poor use of time. And if, and if Oregon does get to that place, we'll obviously have time next week to, to kind of examine them more closely. But we've talked about Iowa. Obviously, we've talked about VCU. The top seeds in this region, Gonzaga is the number one seed, top seed in the tournament. 
Um, for me, that's interesting because I went to Gonzaga and there's a possibility of an Oregon Gonzaga game um, in the Elite Eight. That would be uh, challenging for me personally, a little conflicting. Um, <laughs> but down the line, you got Virginia as the four. Another kind of interesting subplot here is the possibility of Oregon. And this would take a lot to, to work out here, but Creighton's the five seed. Yep. There's a little something interesting for Dana Altman. Um, and then, uh, and, and probably the more likely teams they could in theory play Kansas is the three seed. And obviously we know last time Oregon and Kansas played the NCAA tournament, how that played out. And then this very is also good for Oregon, very well for Oregon and Kansas, is a team that is dealing with some COVID protocol issues. They didn't, I don't think they played their, you know, the they, did not. they had to pull out of the big 12 and they have a couple guys on COVID right now. So that's going to be interesting to see what that looks like. And then uh, interestingly here, USC is the sixth seed. And there's a possibility here that there could be a sneaky Sweet 16 Pac-12 rematch there. If Oregon's able to take out Iowa, if USC is able to win its first game, and then in theory probably take out Kansas, it could be a Kansas team that's kind of limited. Or We could see a Pac-12 game there. We could see a lot of West Coast games here. We could see it being basically Pac-12 teams playing each other to then play Gonzaga for a spot um, in the final four the yep. following week. So I, I, I think it's kind of interesting from that perspective that the committee here puts arguably the two best Pac-12 teams. I know they seeded Colorado above um, both of these teams, but arguably the two most talented teams in the conference in a spot here where they could, in theory, play in the Sweet 16 when you look at the rest of those number six seeds and they're all from other conferences. I think that's kind of an a interesting... I don't know, outcome for this, that, that Oregon could, in theory, play a team um, that they've played a little bit already this season, have a little experience against um, down the line there. I mean, just as a whole, Matt, I mean, we talked about Oregon, obviously, because that's the, 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 you know, the, well, that's the focus point of this podcast every week. But, like, what do you, how did you think the, the Pac-12 came across here in totality? I know they get five teams in, but USC, sorry, UCLA and, and Oregon State are, are kind of lower, you know, double-digit seeds, and, and the highest seed is Colorado's a five. I asked that in part because, I mean, you look purely by the records here, and I know that the net rankings play a huge role in this, but, like, both Oregon and USC have better records than Iowa does, and Iowa's a two-seed. Um, and you look across the country, I don't want to get too – we don't have to go too down, far down the rabbit hole in terms of, like, why, why does the Big Ten have, like, seven of the top, like, 15 teams in this tournament? Right. But it is interesting looking at it from a purely record perspective, like – the Pac-12, it's not like the Pac-12's top team was like 17 and 10 and, and lost a ton of games. Like the best teams in the Pac-12 are teams that have lost five, six, seven games, you know, whereas other conferences like Michigan's a one seed with four losses and Illinois is a one seed with six losses. And like I said, I was a, a two seed with eight losses. It, it, you know, I don't, it doesn't have to be strictly Big Ten Pac-12 because I think most would probably just agree that the Big Ten's probably better this year. But I did find it interesting just kind of looking through this going, man, it seems like the Pac-12 had comparable records but did not receive the benefit of the doubt really at all um, compared to other major conferences in this tournament field. The Big Ten had nine teams in the top 50 of the NCAA net rankings. Um, I mean, we can argue I, – I, I think to your question – I think the Pac-12 is either going to prove that it was severely underrated or it was given, you know, proper, proper, you know, attention where it was the lowest of the major conferences. Um, you know, the Big 12, I mean, the Big 10 has four teams in the top eight of the net rankings. Illinois is one that is the top Big 10 school at number three. Michigan is four. Both of those teams are one seeds. Iowa 
and Ohio State both got uh, top eight rankings. Iowa is sixth in the country in the net ranking. Uh, Ohio State is eight, and I believe Ohio State, yeah, both teams are two seeds. They've got another Big Ten team in the top 25 in Purdue. That's one that I think is kind of crazy, 18 and nine. Um, you, you, you also look at down the list a little bit. Maryland is just outside the top 25, or not just outside, but they're 35th. Um, and from a from a comparison standpoint, Oregon is 33rd in the in the country in the net rankings. Colorado is the top in the Pac-12 at 15. USC is second at 19. Uh, UCLA is way down the list at 46. And then Oregon State, uh, trying to find them, they they were they were pretty far down. Um, yeah, they're 91. So they were they're probably the the lowest 12 seed out there. I was kind of surprised they did not make a playing game. Um, they probably got awarded because they won the automatic bid. That's probably why. I think that actually might be a rule. Um, I, can't I think it remember. is. I think that might be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the league, I think the league is either going to show that severely underrated or they're, you know, unfortunately for the Pac-12 fan and for Oregon fan, you know, their perception is right and that they are, you know, a lower level than the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC, the SEC, um, the Big East. I, I think Oregon's got a chance to, to make a run. I think USC also has a chance to make a run. It kind of sucks that you can't get both in that scenario. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's a, a, a part where that you're right. They could play each other in the Sweet 16. I think that's kind of when – when you have – six or seven teams that makes sense you're of you know a, a like a possible matchup in the sweet 16 within conferences but when you have five like i feel like you really could seed it correctly where you know they're not going to meet in the sweet 16 um well, kind of, yeah that was I, I i find that to be kind of unfortunate that probably the two most likely teams to make a run yeah, and are, that's the thing the it's the two weekend. most likely teams like they're you're, you're going to kind of chop yourself at the knees a little bit there um, from a conference perspective. I think, you know, shoot, it wouldn't surprise me if Colorado, you know, makes a run as well. I don't think UCLA will. I think they probably lose in the playing game. Um, I just don't like their team right now. And then we'll see about Oregon State. You know, when a team catches fire, we've seen it with Oregon a couple times, you know, they can be really difficult to beat. And the Beavers have, have caught some fire as of late and are playing well going into the tournament. We'll see if they can pull off the 12, five upset. Um, they play Tennessee, a team who's been really good at times, a team that's been average at times. And one of their better players uh, has suffered like a cheap shot in the sec tournament game. I don't know if you saw this or not. One of their big guys, uh, one of the better players took an elbow cheap shot to the head, like broke some bones in his face, has a concussion Huge shiner had he could not play in the next game. Um, we'll see if he's available to play against Oregon State, and if he's not, you know that that maybe opens the door a little bit more for Oregon State to get that win. And you know, from a duck perspective, or former Oregon Duck uh, VJ Bailey, Victor Bailey, he plays for Tennessee. He's a guard. He starts half the year. Um, that'll be of interest for for an Oregon fan as well. You know, uh, Miles Norris. A lot of people remember him from the from the Sweet 16 run. He's one of the key guys for UC uh, SB, uh, SB UC Santa Barbara. 
they are in the West bracket and they are playing Creighton in the first round. And I, I've seen a lot of people saying that UCSB could be one of those, you know, 12 seed sleeper teams that makes the sweet 16. Um, and you know, that that's another team to, to kind of keep your eye on with some duck connection there. Um, it's going to be interesting to see play out. A lot of you guys have responded to us on Twitter as well about your thoughts of the tournament. Um, Paul, he tweeted that the ducks have made it to the second weekend in the past three tournaments and usually gone on to lose to the national champion. He thinks they will go on to the elite eight and then lose to Gonzaga, who will be the eventual winner. Uh, Raz also says the same thing. Elite eight lose to Gonzaga. Um, Skywalker Waker nine says that, uh, Iowa is a one player team referencing Garza stop Garza. You can beat them. Um, Caleb says Altman's teams don't lose in the first round at, at Oregon, at least, which is true. And that's what you brought up. Um, feels like, you know, will that streak continue? Uh, another response, despite the lack of size on the post, U of O's tall, long guard play, ball movement, niftiness inside, and maturity will challenge teams. Um, he says, Iowa's big will be trouble, but, in, but we'll see U of O in Sweet 16. Dana builds teams for tourney runs like this. Uh, Andrew, oh, Adam Switcher says, we'll need more production from the bench if we're going to make a deep run. I know Dana relies on the starting five, but – where will consistent scoring come from if the three isn't falling? Uh, another response here is the Ducks played nine games in 23 days and frankly looked like they ran out of gas, especially Richardson. Their shots weren't falling and they were slow to the ball. OSU grade D exposed the fatigue. Having this layoff will be good elite eight. And then Caleb, the last one, I think you should take a look at Oregon compared to the other seven seeds and explain to me why this team who was in the final four, four years ago, sweet 16 as a 12 seed two years ago, why they did not get any respect from the committee. Um, he is right. There is um, some interesting notions here. Florida is 14 and nine on the year fifth in the sec. Clemson is 16 and seven fifth in the ACC. UConn is 15 and seven third in the big East and then Oregon 20 and six first in the pack 12. Um, that's kind of, what we're going at with, you know, the lack of exposure and underseeding and if Oregon's legit or not. Um, uh, Eric, I, I think once again, another, you know, another opportunity for, we'll end it here. Uh, once again, another opportunity for Oregon to kind of put some respect on their name a little bit with some run. And I'll be curious. I mean, I'm sure you watched some of the games in Vegas. Yeah. The fatigue. I and the mental fatigue of what they had to do to get there. I think that's almost the biggest like thing I'm looking forward to seeing when they play on Saturday, by the way, last game of the first round Saturday, 6 57 PM Pacific time on TNT last game of the entire tournament in the first round. Um, I'll be curious to see what their energy level looks like. Well, cause they will have gone almost a, they will have gone a week since, since playing a game. Um, how big of a factor will that be for this team? Yeah, I, I actually, I mean, that's, that's, a, you know, we talked about all the possible negatives here, and I think there are significant ones in terms of just, we ran through the seeding stuff, and it seems kind of strange to me. That, and I understand that we kind of expected this about where they would be, but I, I think that they're better than a seven seed. But you're right. May, maybe, maybe the trade off there is they get a little bit more time to get their, their, their legs under them, and presumably the, second round game if they do beat VCU would probably also be played pretty late on that Monday I would imagine um, mm. against Iowa probably 
maybe maybe the benefit here is that they get to play some games at a little later time, spit, spread them out a little bit, and get some rest. But I don't know. I I I, I think this could be. I I. I I'm with you, man. I think like it feels like this is a team that's either going to make a run to like the Elite Eight and face Gonzaga, or a team that's going to beat VCU and then lose to Iowa. Um, and it might just be as simple as you know, I think I mentioned earlier. Like, some it sometimes it's just seeding good or bad luck. And and Oregon, let's see what let's see how hard this Iowa matchup is. I mean, I think it really the the, the way we're going to remember and contextualize. I think this t- team's tournament run is largely just going to come down to. Can they beat Iowa? And if they beat Iowa, I think they have a chance to go and play in the lead eight, and that'll always be remembered really favorably. And who knows, maybe they'll get hot and win that game and go further. But then there's also the flip side of maybe playing a guy like Luca Garza, who's an extremely accomplished player, who's probably the best player in Iowa history and and all of that. And maybe he's just going to have too much in his tank, and this is going to mean too much, and, and it's going to be a really tough out, and they're going to drop it. And I think if that's the case – Again, I just get disappointed with the fact that they were put in this position, and a part of it's—I mean, some a lot of it's out of their control. Some of it was in their control. If they beat Oregon State, they're not playing Iowa in the second round, probably. But I, I just look at think that that adds some difficulty to this whole thing of, of having to play a team with with arguably the best player in the country, or at least one of the best players in the country. Yeah, that's probably extremely difficult. Probably not what you wanted. Like if you were to get a pull, if you were to pull off an upset, um, you didn't want to have to do it against a team that's got probably the best player in college basketball this season. We're not talking pro potential. No, we're we're talking just this year in the college basketball landscape. Luca Garza will probably go down as the player of the year, and I mean, I was already retired his number. That they've already announced that. That's how good of a player he is for that program. Um, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting to see this team play out. We've got a week until the games begin. The NCAA tournament begins Thursday with the playing games. Friday is the first round, uh, first day of action. I'm excited for that. Uh, be able to sit in front of the TV and basically watch all those games. And then uh, on Saturday, the Ducks play. And, and look, hey, look, we get entire day of watching basketball. It's, it's the one way to turn this into a, into a positive. You have to wait all day for the game, but you also get to watch almost every other game that day on Saturday until the Ducks play. So uh, it's going to be fun. Thank you for listening to this week's Monday edition of the Odds and Audible's podcast. Tomorrow on Tuesday, we'll do one for the women when the bracket gets released there. Wednesday, we'll have the mailbag as well. Uh, We'll also break out um, some football look back on the DB position as we clear things up there. So, Until we talk to you, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later, folks.